Well, good morning. Great to see you. Happy New Year, Awakening Church. I am thrilled and ready to go for our very first service of the year. I hope you are too. Um, and if you can work, somebody can work on that boom. I'm, or I'll just take the mic off. There we go. Um, man, I am thrilled. I'm thrilled about our series and can't wait to get going. Uh, I want to start uh, this morning with a story, uh, and I think every year should start with a story. So we'll start our new year with a story. Ooh, ooh. All right. Felt like uh, anybody remember um, Pee Wee's Playhouse and the word of the day? Was that okay? All right. That's all of a sudden I, I, I had flashbacks that frightened me. Okay. Uh, this last summer, uh, my wife and I got away for um, vacation. My in-laws have a beach house in Santa Barbara, which is amazing. Um, and especially as a pastor, being able to get away for free and vacation in an incredible spot is unbelievable. Uh, but we are, as you know, a church plant. And so it has been chaos for the first couple of years. And this last summer was the first time that we got away as a family to just recharge. And we didn't go into a vacation on empty. And, you know, some of you have experienced this where you go on a vacation, but you're below E, and vacation is just to get you just above E. Like, this is one where we got away, we got refreshed. It was unbelievable. Uh, and while we're down there, uh, some friends of ours, and we like to vacation with friends, came and visited us. And as they were coming, my wife sent me out to go um, grocery shopping. Uh, and when I grocery shop, she gives me a list, and I think it's suggestions. Uh, and, and I try to add to it what I think is missing on the list. Uh, and so she let me know, stick to the list. And I said, okay. All right, I'll stick to the list. And so I, I go out to pick up some groceries for our friends and for our time as they're going to hang out with us. And as I'm there, I, I go and pick up some, some essentials. And so we had some kids, and so I needed some bread uh, to make some grilled cheeses and whatnot. So I got some bread, and then my wife really loves um, this sparkly water. So happy wife, happy life. Thank you very much. There you go. Some of that. We needed some chips and salsa because no party can't help without chips and salsa. But then we needed paper towels because, again, we have kids. Uh, and you need to, I hope this does not fall. Last time I did this, I had a big table. All right, there you go. And then last but not least, we had toilet paper. So I carry all this out uh, up to the register, and the guy looks at me, and he says, do you need a bag? And I look at this and go, nah. Uh, I'm good. Now, what you need to know, I'm in, I'm in my beach lifestyle. I grew up in Santa Cruz. I love, if I could, I would preach in board shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt. My wife doesn't let me. I have to wear shoes. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm in board shorts. And so, at the same time, I have my phone, my keys, and my wallet in my hand. And I don't know why that 10 cents bothers me so much. <laughs> But I don't want to pay it. And so I got my phone, my wallet, my keys, and then I grabbed these things, and I began to load up and hold these. And the guy's kind of looking at me. You sure you don't need it back? No, dude, I got it. And as I'm walking out uh, of the grocery store, there's like a crew just hanging. Like who hangs at a grocery store? They're just sitting right there. 
you know, and they're just hanging out, and I, I look at them, and all of a sudden, I feel even more pressure. Like, I have an audience now, and right as I'm walking in front of them, the toilet paper begins to slip out of my hands, and my first instinct, my only thought was, I must save the toilet paper. (laughs) And so I do everything in my power as this toilet paper is slipping out of my hands to grab it and catch it, and, and, and I was successful. However, however... In that moment, it seemed as if time stopped because I saw my phone slip out of my hands and it did this. Boom. 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 And and then I did this. And this was all happening in slow motion. I, 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 I trust you. No! Boom. Boom. And then there was no more. It landed square on the face, and I'm left holding (laughs) toilet paper. I pick it up, and I look at it, and the only way to talk is actually to get a bloody ear. Some of you have had that, right? You've had that where it... And I'm just going, stupid, stupid, stupid. I'm like thinking in my head, toilet paper bounces. (laughs) Phones do not bounce. This has a plastic cover, so even if it fell in water, which it was dry, sunny summer day, it would still be just fine. And in that moment, I think an important and significant question came to mind. Uh, it's a simple question. It's an obvious question, uh, but it is so important that we ask it, especially in a brand new year. And in fact, I think, I think this is the reason God has you here this morning, is to simply ask this question, because this came across my mind as I'm holding this toilet paper. What is it you can't afford to let fall. You ever thought about that? I mean, what is the thing in your life or the things or the people in your life that that you can't afford to let fall? Now, see, here's the problem is, is we understand why this is important. We know it intuitively. We experience it that, that misplaced priorities always lead to misspent lives. We, we understand that, and it's so easy to see in other people. Can't you see this in other people that, that the lives that they're leading, you're like, no, 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 you're not investing in the right areas. You're, you're not ordering your life in the best way. But here's the problem is our arms are full of stuff, and they all feel so important, don't they? Have you ever asked that question? I think this is an important question to ask in the brand new year. What is it that you can't afford to let fall? Another way to say that misspent priorities is to say, if we overvalue the wrong thing, we end up underinvesting in the right things. And for some, here's why this is so critical, because you showed up this morning and in your marriage is in midair, isn't it? Boom. Boom. 
Your relationship with a family member, your relationship with a close friend is in midair right now. Your relationship perhaps with some of your kids is in midair. And you need to ask and answer this question with absolute clarity and conviction. And for some, it's you. For some, it's you. You're in midair. And as we start a brand new year, you got to ask this question. What is it you can't, what is it that you can't afford to let fall? How is it? How about for you? As you start, as you begin, as you start and think about New Year's resolutions, New Year's goals, and some of these sort of things, what if you began to reorder your life in a radically different way? To make sure and ensure that you don't end up at the end of this year holding toilet paper instead of what's most important. Now, I want to ask this question from a slightly different angle for uh, the majority of our time because this is really important for us as a community. In fact, this is a, a message that I gave at Westgate because they asked me to speak on a particular subject, and I was so excited. I've been so excited to teach it to our church. And here's the question. Here's the question that, that I think is so important that we have to ask as a church. Have you ever thought about this? What is it that we as a church can't afford to let fall? Have you ever wondered that? And now when I say church, here's what I, what I mean. See, because church isn't a building, and we know that because we don't have a building. <laughs> right? But church isn't a service either. Church is a people. Church is the people of God. Church is a community of followers of Jesus who have gathered together and then scatter. See, here's what happens is, is church doesn't ever cease to stop happening because we're not meeting here. When you go out that doors or those doors, church is on the move and church is outside the building. And wherever, by the way, wherever you go, church is happening because you are the church. So how do we ask this question? What is it that we as a church can't afford to let fall? And I'd like to suggest to you that the entertainment industry has answered this question with absolute clarity and is moving forward with absolute conviction. The marketing industry, and if you study that, the lion's share of where they spend their money is so laser-targeted. They have answered that question, what is it we can't afford to let fall? And in fact, the tech industry, we have a few tech companies in this area. The tech industry has answered that question with absolute clarity. Their answer is this, this generation this generation. In fact, we, we wanted to plant a church around what we can't afford to let fall. So three and a half years ago, we started a church that said, we exist to awaken this generation to new life. See, because the tech companies, the marketing companies, and the uh, entertainment industry understands that if you don't capture the hearts and minds of this generation, your company and your industry is over. And somehow we seem to have forgotten that as a church. Another way to ask this question is, what is this generation worth to you? 
when you look at it, uh, and the tech industry had literally puts a dollar amount to this. Uh, Facebook, uh, in 2014, acquired a singular app for a sum of money. That really, to me, signified what this generation is worth. It's the WhatsApp app. You, you know that app, right? Um, in 2014, by the way, it made $10 million and lost $250 million. Do you know that Facebook paid just the unimaginable sum? And here's the reason why. Because Facebook's losing teenagers by the droves. Because they don't want to see little babies posted by mamas and their parents on Facebook, right? Some of you are like, why? What's wrong with that? I'm cool. Okay. And so here's what Facebook said. We're going to spend whatever it takes to capture the hearts and minds of this generation. You know what they did? For a company that lost $240 million in a year, they spent $19 billion. When you ask the question, what is a generation worth? Facebook would say it's worth $19 billion. And another way to ask this question is what's at stake if we don't? It, what's at stake if we fail to answer that question with absolute clarity, clarity and then move forward with conviction? And, and I believe in this ancient writing, in this Hebrew scriptures, uh, uh, it's this um, book called Judges, that we see this um, commentary of what's at stake if we fail to answer this question well as a community, as a church. Uh, and if you got your notes, you can open them up and look at it. Let me give you a little bit of background to the history of Israel. This commentary about where Israel's at is happening about 200 years after the time of Joshua. Now, the story of Israel happened, goes along something like this. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. For 400 years, they're in bondage in Egypt. Uh, and they cried out, God, would you save us? God raised up a deliverer in Moses, and he came and said, let my people go. You know, uh, and, and then, by miraculous, they were led out of Egypt. They were delivered, and then they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Moses then passes the baton of leadership to Joshua. Joshua takes them into the promised land. They then begin to, through a, an incredible military campaign, settle the land. Now, this is written about 200 years after, after Joshua entered and started that campaign. And here is the commentary on the people of Israel and where they're at. And I believe it gives us an accurate picture if we fail to answer that question well. What can't we afford to let fall? Or what's at stake if we don't? We pick it up in Judges 7, or 2, verse 7. Uh, the author writes, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, 
Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Now, in this passage, we actually see three different generations. You see the first generation, um, it was Joshua's generation. The first generation knew God and experienced him. It was the generation of Joshua. I mean, they were with Joshua. These were, they stepped into the Jordan. They watched the Jordan stop. And they walked across on dry ground. They marched around the walls of Jericho out of faith and just trusting God. And they saw the walls come down. And this is the first generation who knew God and who had experienced God. And then there's a second generation in this text. The second generation, they knew of God, but they hadn't experienced him. These are the kids of those who had gone into the promised land. These are the kids who then began to see their parents step out in faith, but they never had to step out in faith. They saw their parents march out and do what God said, but they came into a settled land. And I think something important here is we just assume that our faith will just naturally pass on to the next generation. And we got to give them and entrust to them and help them take steps of faith themselves because they knew of God. They saw God work, but they never had to embrace it for themselves because they simply watched their parents step out of faith and they began to not just settle the land, but become settled in the land. And then there was a third generation that came up who neither knew God nor what God had done. They, they didn't see parents cross the Jordan. They didn't see the walls of Jericho come down. Now, I'd like to suggest that we have seen that same pattern take place in America today. And if you would go with me for a second and take a look at today's generational breakdown. And I'm, I'm just simply going to start with the, the baby boomers. And uh, do we have any baby boomers in here? Anyone? Any proud? Yeah, they always wave. They don't talk, you know. It's like... <laughs> The baby boomers, yeah, that's uh, from 1946 to 1964, roughly, and, and <laughs> they're 64. You're like, all right, I just made it. And the reason you're called the baby boomers is because after the war, your parents got busy, and there was a boom in babies. That's really where the title came from, yeah, and God is good. All right. And the baby boomers, and after the baby boomers, then we see what was known as Generation X. And I'm actually on the cusp between Generation X and the millennials. Now, Generation X is an interesting generation because um, the, when, the way they name generations is they give, it a, give every generation a temporary name. And then after they see some characteristics or traits of that, then they go back and look upon that generation and give it a new name. So they start off with Generation X. Now, Generation X uh, didn't ever like to be uh, boxed in, labeled, or titled. So we just started with Generation X. Now you're, hey, we're kind of disgruntled, you know, we, we want to, you know, prove it to the man, whatever, you know, <laughs> type deal. And then we see the millennials. Any millennials in the room? Any? <laughs> Any excited millennials in the room? Here's what's interesting. Baby boomers, at one time, for decades and decades, you were the largest 
uh, generation and had the greatest influence and impact in our culture and society. And what came with the baby boomer generation wasn't just a boom of babies, but it also came with a boom of God. If you understand or look back on church history in America, you'll see 30, 40 years ago that people were saying that the church is obsolete, the church is going to go away, and it won't exist. And then some, this little movement called the Jesus Movement took place and swept across this country. And some of you came to know Jesus through that. And there's this boom of how we did church. And by the way, the way we do church today, we owe a lot to the boomer generation because all of a sudden they began to go, you know what, church isn't relevant anymore and and it's totally obsolete. And so we're actually going to let drums be in on the service. We're going to allow music to change and and we're not going to just be stuck to the hymns anymore. We're going to do lights and, and some of them did plays, which we don't really do so much anymore, but it was cool then. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, I, Gen Xers like to think we did this, but we didn't. They brought the arts back into the church as well. And it was this generation that experienced God and knew him. And then you have the generation X that, that really, I, I would say that we experienced the afterglow. And then the millennials. Did you know that 73% of those uh, who by age 23 in the church will leave the church? 73% of 23-year-olds will leave the church who grew up in the church. 69% of high school students will totally abandon their faith. What can't we afford to let fall? And did you know, by the way, that the millennials are now, as of 2015, the largest generation in America? Did you know the fastest growing demographic in the Silicon Valley are millennials? And did you know that less than 2% of the millennials here in the valley are reached or churched in any way. And if you take uh, any mission organization's um, mathematical equation for uh, unreached people group, the millennials would be considered an unreached people group. You don't have to go around the world to reach those who are far from Christ. We get a start right here. And then there's one more generation. There's the I generation. It's what my kids are growing up in. It's a post, we live in a world that's now a post-Christian society. They're called the I generation for now, and the reason is because they are the generation that never grew up without technology. They never grew up with (laughs) Never experienced it. See, Facebook, tech industry, entertainment, they've all answered this question with absolute clarity, with absolute conviction, and are moving forward with the resolute pursuit. What can't we afford to let fall this generation? And isn't it time that we as the church begin with the same sort of passion and pursuit? Now, I want to take a minute and just talk. Do we got any 20-year-olds in here? Anybody? Anybody excited about being in their 20s? Forget it. I'm not talking to you. 
I, I had something good to say to you, but never mind. Any teenagers? How about any, we got any teens? Two, right, right. Well, let me talk to you guys. I know a lot of our college students are away. We'll, we'll force them to listen to this online. Because I want to say something to you. I want to say something to this generation. I want to say something to the millennials, the 20s. See, what we've done as a society is we've unfortunately labeled you. We've labeled you as the me generation. We've labeled you as narcissistic. My brother um, calls them, and he hires a lot of the millennials for his, his work, and he calls them the trophy generation. And I was like, hey, what, what do you mean by that? And he said, um, well, it's the generation that grew up with whatever they did. They got a trophy, and so they think they deserve everything. And I was like, well, kind of true. Here's, here's the problem with labels. We often live up to and live out the labels that we're given, don't we? This is true for all of us. I, I would caution us as a church about what labels we put on others and what we say. Think about this, by the way, for parents and what you say to your kids. Because here's an interesting thing, because have you ever wondered what God thinks about you? See, when, when God wants to bring about a change, he often chooses and uses teenagers and 20-year-olds. I mean, if you just begin to look back over the history of God's movements, he often chooses and uses teenagers and 20-somethings to bring about a revolution in culture and society. I mean, when God wanted to deliver the people of Israel and literally restore a nation, the nation of Egypt, he took a teenage boy who was an arrogant dreamer and put a God-sized dream inside of him, and his name was Joseph, and he delivered his people from famine and delivered a nation and brought prosperity. I mean, just think about this. When God wanted to um, bring about a restoration of the kingdom, his kingdom and his people, he, went, he sent a guy to this family, and, and they're looking around, and there's all these studs. There's all these older brothers, and, and he's looking at them. No, not him. No, not him. Is there one more? And he said, yeah, you know, there's this young kid. He's, he's the little brother. He wasn't even invited to the table. He's out watching the sheep. And his name was David and became the greatest king Israel ever had. And isn't it time, church, that we begin to invite those who aren't invited to the table to have a voice and influence? When God wanted to deliver Israel from a genocide... He appointed and chose a young girl named Ruth to stand up and take a risk with courage with her life and used her. When God wanted to do a movement in a hostile land named Babylon, did I get out of order? Yeah, I might have. Uh, in a hostile land of Babylon, he raised up Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four guys that would stand up and stand out even in the midst of hostile opposition, even when it was unpopular. Why? Because they're the only ones who had the guts to do it. When God wanted to deliver humanity and bring salvation 
to the world. He entrusted the greatest gift this planet has ever received in Jesus to a teenage girl named Mary. And when God wanted to spread the news of what he had done and the good news, he called out a few fisher boys who were working with their dad and said, come, follow me. See, when God wants to bring him out of change, he often chooses and uses teens and 20s. And here's just what I want to say to you. If you're in your 20s, if you're a teenager here this morning, God doesn't give you the label, the me generation. God doesn't give you the label, the entitled one. You know what he labels you? Chosen. Chosen. He looks at you, and he doesn't say one day, someday, that you can have an impact with your life. He doesn't say one day, someday. You know what, when you grow up, he says, no, 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 today. I long to use you today. God believes in you. I believe in you. We planted a church to see this generation reached. And we need you. We need you. We need you to begin to live out not the label that society's given you, but the label that God's given you. Now, let me tell you why I believe this is important for us as a church. Why, whether you're 70 or 17, we can't afford to let this fall to let this generation fall. And we understand this. We know this. The future of the church, the future, the fate, rest in the hands of this generation. And those of us who aren't a part of it, we're stewards of this generation, aren't we? Church, the bride of Christ, the community of God, that was commissioned to bring restoration and healing, the good news that life and hope and peace are found in Jesus. That's the church. That's us. And so if you're in your 50s and 60s here in 70s, think about this. Don't you want to be a part of a church? And don't you want to create a place that, that leaves the church in a better place than when you found it? I mean, don't you ultimately, come on, think about this. Don't you want to create a place that captures the hearts and minds of your kids and their friends and your grandkids? Don't you want to pass the, the baton well off? Don't you want to pass that baton off well? Don't you want to go, you know what, the church is in a far better place. And as I step off the stage, I know that the church is more brilliant and beautiful because I raised up the next generation of leaders for the church. And if you're in your 30s and 40s, why this is so important to you, don't you want to create a place? Don't you want to be a part of this? That your kids love for a lifetime and not just a time in their life. Don't you want your kids to never have the experience of coming back to church because they never left? 
That, that we would be able to create a place here that would so capture the hearts and minds with the grace and the love of Jesus and that we would be so focused on reaching the next generation that they wouldn't feel like it's not for them. That we wouldn't take our kids and just simply put them off in a side and say, go do your thing. And by the way, we're going to do our thing. And when you grow up, you can be a part of that. But we would give leadership and we would give entrustment early on to this generation. I've told you many times, and I'll say it again. By the way, at some point, I will not like the music of our church. And it's not because we'll have bad music. We won't. It's because music is the language of the soul, and it's the language of a generation. And everyone's favorite music, by the way, especially worship music, is the music you came to know Jesus on. And that's why Delirious is the greatest band, worship band ever. <laughs> but don't you want to be about part of a church that maybe one day, someday, you don't actually like the music so much, but you know that, hey, we're reaching a different generation and, <laughs> and it's just not for me? That's a novel thought. What if church is more than just for you? And if you're in your teens and 20s, don't you want to be a generation that actually reaches your generation? Don't you want to live out a new label? Don't, you could be the generation that actually helps the bride of Christ become more brilliant and beautiful than it ever has in all of history. You could be a generation that, ex that allows the gospel, the good news of God's grace and love towards us to expand around the planet faster than ever before. Don't you want to be a part of that? See, this is what's at stake if we fail to answer this question well. Now, I want to just real briefly give you what I think is the convergence and then close with a story. A story I've told before, so uh, some of you have heard it, and so it's still a good story. And it fits real well here. So, because if we're the church, and if the church is more than a building, but it's a people, then this isn't about our seating capacity here. This is about our sending capacity. And so when we ask those questions, what is it for you personally, what you can't afford to let fall, and what is it as a church we can't afford to let fall, there is a convergence. Because we're the church. It's not, hey, Ryan and your church. And I correct everybody when they say, hey, your church. No, 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 our church. We're together in this. And the convergence is here. When you answer that question, what is it you can't afford to let fall? My buddy explained it really well. We're hanging out with him, uh, with some families, on, not quite New Year's Eve. Uh, and my wife asked this question, what's your New Year's Eve goal? And... Uh, 
And he broke it down into three categories. And he didn't have a goal around them yet. But he said, basically, this, essentially the three things you can't afford to let fall. You know, what we'd say, we, we don't want to be holding toilet paper at the end of the day. And he said, your faith, your family, and then your friends. And I think it's in that order. Your faith, your family, your friends. What is it that you can't afford to let fall? And as we start in the year 2016, it starts with you and your relationship with God. And if we're actually going to be a church that doesn't just gather, but starts a movement that awakens this generation to new life, it starts with you answering that question with absolute clarity and conviction, and then prioritizing your life around your faith and your relationship with God. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to take what I believe are five big areas for us as a community to develop and grow to becoming followers of Jesus to awaken this generation to new life. Because it doesn't matter, honestly, how cool the music or how great the message or how nice the environment or how great the pastries are because if we're not sending out fully developed, passionate lovers of Jesus to impact this world, it all falls flat. And that's what this generation wants, by the way. Authenticity and a meaningful encounter with God in the community of God. So these five areas... We're going to look at, next week, we're going to look at a contagious faith. We're going to look then at what it looks like to have meaningful ministry, life-giving practices, intentional relationships, and extravagant generosity. We're going to just take those five areas, and we've done a lot of work to figure out what are, we believe, the five core areas of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and we're, this isn't like, by the way, just my New Year's talk, so bear with me. This isn't just like, hey, this is New Year's talk. We're going to get after helping us and helping you develop to become who God made you to be so you can unleash the love of God to the world around you. In your businesses, most of you have a growth plan. It's amazing that we don't actually, for the things that matter most, have a growth plan. So we're developing that as a church around these five areas. You even see that you have a Bible reading plan. We want to be a community that, that actually knows God's word. We're going to spend the next year reading through the New Testament as a community. And the next following weeks, I'm going to give you some real specific tools in how to really do a spiritual assessment and develop your own spiritual growth plan. Because this all falls flat if we don't begin to answer seriously individually what is it I can't afford to let fall? Because as you answer that and you begin to invest in your relationship with Jesus, when you follow him, it's this ripple effect. You begin to impact the world around you and the people around you. Um, I want to close with a story and I want to finish with um, a psalm of Moses. And uh, 
We started with Judges a couple hundred years after Joshua. This psalm, Psalm 90, was written by, um, by Moses. Many scholars believe on Mount Sinai, looking into the promised land right before he's to pass the baton of leadership to Joshua. And he starts off uh, this way. He says, O Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And that's what we want to be here. We want to be a dwelling place at awakening throughout all generations. Not just a few generations, not just targeted, by the way. We need every generation here. That's the beauty of the body of Jesus. But we're going to be focused on developing and reaching this generation. And then he closes his psalm this way. And it's a beautiful psalm. I'd encourage you. It's the only one we, that we know of that's written by Moses. He says, May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands, O God. Establish the work of our hands. Uh, that, that word establish means to, um, to make ready or to prepare or to put right. And, and I think there's probably two responses to this sermon. And for some, you're moving into 2016 and, and your prayer is, God, would you make ready my hands? I'm ready to hit it. I have some goals and realize that, you know, I have been holding some toilet paper and I'm going to start to hold on to what matters most and I'm going to begin to invest. God, would you make ready my hands? And you begin to commit that to Jesus today. But there's another group there's another group that walked in, and this sermon actually felt more weighty. It felt heavier on your shoulders. It felt like, oh, I've been screwing up. Because there aren't things in midair. There are some of the important things of life that have fallen and are cracked and broken. And you feel like that couldn't be for me. And I love that that word establish also means to fix or put right. It's one of my favorite stories, so if you heard it, bear with me. Uh, a year and a half ago, Jenny and I were in Carmel for a wedding, and we got a you know, free three nights there. It was fantastic. We woke up early one morning to, uh, to go you know, read and go to a coffee shop, and then Jenny was going to go and do some uh, thrift, not like estate sell, shopping, whatever. She gets real excited when dead people, uh, I'm, you know what I mean. No, I sorry. That's, um, and I was just going to work for the day. And so as we're at this place, we got our coffee, looked around, I'm like, this place doesn't really suit me. I, I couldn't see myself spending the whole day working here. So we go and we walk and f go to another coffee shop and I said, no, this place doesn't work either. So then we go to a third coffee shop and I go, no, I don't like this either. I'm like, I'm kind of a coffee snob, you know, and it's not just the coffee, the environment's got to be good. And so then the fourth place we finally get to and I'm like, this is the place, but it's packed. 
It's, and the only place that's open is that big communal table that many coffee shops have that have like six chairs or eight chairs around it. And I felt kind of bad, but I was like, well, thank you very much. I've got a table now. And so I get my computer out and my bag, and I, but I was also aware that the place is packed and people were walking in. And I didn't want to be that guy, you know, the guy at the coffee shop that takes the big table all by himself and has his stuff everywhere. And you walk in and you immediately hate that guy, you know. And so I hear this couple, or at least I thought they were a couple, who walk in the door and and as they walked in the door, they're looking, there's no room here. And so I turned to them. I go, uh, would you like to sit at my table? <laughs> I, I own it. Thank you very much. You can sit at my table. And they kind of look at each other and go, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll sit there. And, and she sits there, and he goes to get coffee, and she sees my Bible, and she goes, oh, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. Um, are you? And she said, well, it's a little complicated. I'm like, oh, okay. And then the guy comes back, and that was the end of the conversation. And then very quickly, I realized, they're not a couple. Um, he's her financial advisor, and she uh, apparently was fairly displeased. He's done a poor job, and this was his firing. I, I put my headphones on real quick. <laughs> Try to tune out, and, uh, and so I, I, as I do that, and I could hear, still hear, and he leaves, and I'm like, I... I Spirit of God's like, hey, you should talk to her. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of busy. You know, I'm preparing a sermon uh, for you. <laughs> and so I go get a refill of coffee. I come back. How's it going? She's like, not good. And then she begins to ask some questions. She's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, but I, I grew up in Santa Cruz. And she's like, oh, when you're in Santa Cruz, um, did you ever go to Chip Ingram's church? <laughs> and I told her, yeah, that's my dad. And I could have told you, I, I could have been the Prince of Wales or whatever. I mean, she was, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm sitting at Chip Ingram's table. Yeah, it's son's table. I'm like, yes, this is my table. I'm glad we established that. Um, and I mean, it's almost as if we could kiss the ring or something. It was crazy, you know? She was so thrilled. And then in that moment, then she began to tell her life story and how she went through this really brutal divorce and her husband left her and she just lost her home um, that, you know, she raised her kids and, and she began to confide in me that um, at one point she's even thought about taking her own life. And I mean, this is happening in this big public, this like all of a sudden this very intimate moment. And, uh, and as she was talking and sharing, uh, this phrase came to my mind, and it welled up, and I couldn't help but, and I said, you know, I just feel like God put me here to share something with you, that all is not lost. There's still hope. Don't give up. All's not lost. There's still hope. Don't give up. And then, and then I couldn't help this next part. And I said, and do you know the lengths to which God went to share that with you? He sent me to four coffee shops. <laughs> Chip Ingram's son, which that doesn't mean a whole lot here, but to her it meant the world. 
that the person who she'd listened on the radio and helped get through her darkest times, his son happened to be sitting across the table in her darkest moment to speak a word of life, to strengthen and establish the work of her hands. And for some, this morning, as you start out 2016, you need to hear all is not lost. There's still hope. Don't give up. You have a God who will go to great lengths to establish the work of your hands. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for our time together. Father, I ask that you would make us a church that is a dwelling place for all generations. And I pray that that individually, every single person in this room would have a response to you, whether it's establish or make ready our hands, or God, is there an area you need to fix or put right? But would you give each person here the, the courage to ask and answer and step forward into your light, into your grace, into your hope? And that as a church in 2016, we would answer that question with absolute clarity and conviction. And we'd see your favor rest on us and our family and your movement sweep across this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand and we'll close. Next week, we will be in part two of New. I hope you will join us for all six of these. And I just wanted to pray a prayer over you as you leave. It's one of my favorites. It's the Franciscan benediction. And so I'd encourage you, if if you're willing, just kind of put your hands out open like this to receive this benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.